Every day he felt something missing. He grew up in a rich family, but it's not just the money that he had, uh, it is also the religious, the wonderful religious heritage that he had. You see, from a young age, uh, he had been taught the Torah. And we are not entirely sure, but it is likely that he had memorized all of the first five books of the law, of, of the Bible. And yet, uh, this young man, who had what others can only dream about, felt an empty hole in his life. You see, he had climbed to the top of the pyramid of riches, as it were, and he found nothing there. He longed to find fulfillment. He craved to have a life that is worth living. And as he put it, he was seeking what the ancients call eternal life. But where would this rich young man find eternal life? Well, history tells us that the man came running to Jesus. And falling on his knees, he asked Jesus that immortal question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Bible tells us that after some back and forth, Jesus looked this young man in the eye with love. His eyes locked with his and said to this rich young man, Go and sell everything you have. Give the money to those who are poor, and you have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the Bible tells us that when the man heard these words, he was devastated. I couldn't believe it. He gave away my money, everything, all my houses, lands, and possessions. And without saying another word to Jesus, the Bible says the rich man walked away sad. And we looked at this story of the rich young ruler last Sunday evening, uh, which comes before the passage we are looking at this morning. It was found in Mark 10, verse 17 to verse 22. And that, that passage we looked at begins a section in Mark uh, where Jesus is challenging us on what it means to have a real and true relationship with God through him. It teaches us this entire section up to the end of chapter 10 on what it means to have radical discipleship. You see, there is within each of us a longing to live in a relationship with God. We know that nothing else can fulfill us. We, we, we have all tried everything, haven't we? Many. Having a family, relationships, religion, and many other things. And just being popular, I guess, on the internet or something. Having many Instagram followers. But we've discovered that none of these things truly satisfies us. Deep down, we know we need God, don't we? But as the rich young man's sad reaction shows us, that is reaction to Jesus, it shows us that putting, even though we know we need God, putting God first in our lives generates resistance within us. All of us want to be masters of our universe. And according to Jesus, the greatest barrier you face as you sit here this morning to surrender in your life to Jesus uh, is not your wife, uh, it's not your husband, it's not your children, it's not the, it's not the 
Donald Trump, it's not uh, Boris Johnson. It's not this world. In fact, the richest barrier you face is your prosperity. Is that you're rich. That's the, richest, that's the barrier you face. It's your money, the money you have, the prosperity you've got. Now, that puzzles you, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, I am not rich. I am in my overdraft. <laughs> right? I'm struggling. I've got debts piling up. And I'm not surprised you feel that way. I feel like that. We all feel like that. Welcome to the club. We feel we are not rich. There is always someone richer. When it comes to money, enough is never enough. But the truth is that you are rich because God looks at you and he can see a billion other people who are living on less than 60 pounds a month. And you live definitely on more than that. 785 people, according to the World Bank, live on less than $2 a day. You're richer than them. When God looks at you, he can see them as well. So you are richer, right? <laughs> the money you live on, some of you, the clothes you're wearing right now are more than 60 pounds. 60 pounds that others live on is less than the Sky TV package that I've got. 60 pounds is the price of a meal for three at Zizi's. So you are rich, all right? God knows you are rich because, you see, your phone bill can pay for a missionary in Ukraine for a whole month. Just your phone bill. God knows you are rich because the Christmas gifts you are planning to buy for others can fund a whole church in China for a year. So God knows you are rich. God knows you are rich because his eternal son was born in a manger and it did not look like your house. Yeah, yeah, we want more, but we are rich. And so the passage we are looking at today applies to us. So accept you are rich and therefore then consider my question. Because at the end of this message, I want each of us to know the answer to this question. What is the question? The question is this, are your riches putting your soul in grave danger? Are your riches putting your soul in grave danger? And if the answer is yes, the supplementary question is, are you willing to stop chasing prosperity and surrender everything to Jesus? Are you willing to stop chasing prosperity and surrender everything to Jesus? To help you answer these two questions, please look at me at that passage in Mark 10, verse 23 to verse 27. Because the rich young man, a ruler, has gone, and now Jesus uses that as, if you like, the backdrop to teach us two important truths about prosperity. And the two truths I want us to share is, first of all, is this. The first truth is, prosperity is a danger to everyone, young and old, black, white, People living in this country and people living over there. It's a danger to everyone. The comedian Jim Carrey, who I like very much, says this. I wish everyone would get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of. So that they would know it's not the answer. He says, I wish everyone would get rich so that they would know that it's not the answer. 
What does he mean by that? It's not the answer. It means that money never fulfills us. It's not the answer in the end. But you know what? He's right, but it's just upright. It's actually worse than that. It's not just money never fulfills us. According to the Lord Jesus in this passage, riches leave spiritual knife wounds all over your soul. Look at verse 23 to verse 24. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, which we've seen throughout Mark so far, is God coming to reign in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you share life with God. You are already in the kingdom of God. To have the kingdom of God is to be part of his new community. Therefore, you have eternal life. You live and share life with God now. But what you have now is just the beginning. You are born again if you have surrendered to him. You are in the kingdom. But that's just the beginning. Jesus is coming any moment, isn't it? And he's coming in glory. And you will live with him in the new heavens and new there's glory lying ahead of you. So Jesus can say, can speak about us entering the kingdom of God now and can talk about us entering the kingdom of God in the future because the kingdom of God is a now, now and not yet. And so this is the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here. But the point Jesus is making here is that not everyone is in the kingdom of God and not everyone will enter it. Those who have riches will not enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's worse than that. Those who have riches will be punished by God forever. Verse 25 underlines this point, doesn't it? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The camel is the largest animal the disciples know in this part of the world. And Jesus is saying, it is harder to, it is difficult to squeeze this large animal, right? Think of an elephant, for those of you who have never seen a camel. To squeeze it into this needle, the eye of a needle. You know, the needle that your mom uh, may sometimes use to put, put your button up, that kind of thing. It is it's impossible. And I think that's what we have to understand this passage. I think sometimes people read this passage and say, Jesus is saying, it is possible to squeeze the needle. But actually, it just means the other way around. It means it is actually humanly impossible. Some of you are puzzled by this. Because you have heard someone tell you money is neutral. It's not what you do with money that counts. Right? That's what people say. Money, well, the other way around. Let me clarify that. They say money is neutral. It is what you do with money that counts. Right? That's what, that's, that's what we've heard. That's what I've heard. I don't know what you've heard. In fact, there's a slogan that says, it's not many, it's the love of many. Right? Looking at First Timothy 6. In fact, Paul doesn't say that. He simply focuses there on the love of many. But he doesn't say money is not the issue. Right? It's us who read into that. Thank God we've got a passage that's telling us here from Jesus that money is the issue. 
Later, Paul focused on the love of money, but yet Jesus is saying money is the issue. Read the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says it is difficult for those who have riches. Okay? Jesus does not say it is difficult for those who trust in riches. Yes, there's a footness at the bottom, but actually the manuscripts are clear that what Jesus is saying is it is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is difficult for a rich person. Doesn't he say that? He says that there, doesn't he? It is difficult for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is impossible, even we might say. Jesus is saying money is a sixth sense, if you like, that blinds the other five senses. The cost of having prosperity is eternal life. The risk of hell for the rich is 100%. Because only God can handle prosperity. We know that because Adam was very prosperous in his perfection. So was he. And they still fell. And they fell because they wanted more consumption, didn't they? They wanted to eat more, to have more. They couldn't handle the prosperity that God had already given them. Why are riches so dangerous to your soul? Because a heavy purse is light to carry, isn't it? A heavy purse is light to carry. Prosperity is a provider. Money provides things you need in life. It has purchasing power. It can get you food, clothing, shelter. The more money you have, the more options you have where to live, eat, and play. And holiday, of course. Money determines the make and model of your car, the school you go to, the holidays you, ha- you take, and a million other things. Money is a provider. It's a provider. Money also provides something you crave for, significance, significance. You do not just want any banger for a car. You want one with eight gears to stand up. You know, I went for a speed awareness course. Yes, yes, I would wind up at the Holiday Inn for driving too fast. And as I was there, there was a guy there who who told us he has an eight gear car. Why do you need an eight gear car here in Bexley? Eight gears. We're not in the Western Sahara. Where are you going to use these gears? He's there just moving, you know, the car changes. It's one of these, I guess, Jaguar types, right? Yeah, that's what he has. Why does he have an eight gear car? Because of significance. He wants to stand out. Money buys that. He provides for that. If you have it, you can stand out. You do not just want any gift, do you? Uh, ladies, you want an expensive diamond ring or necklace around your neck. That tells the world, why? That tells people, your peers, that you are highly valued by your husband. You stand out. You are not like Jen over there, I was not very much cared for. I have something to prove that my husband cares for me. That's what you want. Money provides that significance. Money also provides the answer, provides the power, sorry, to protect yourself against the uncertainties of life. Just review the money you spend on your insurance policies. You know, in our society, you can insure just about anything. You can insure your life, your home, your car, and I found that you can insure your teeth as well. 
and your fingers. There are people that have insured their fingers. Pianists, um, our dear sister might decide to do it. We might have to insure our fingers when she's playing for us quite regularly. We want to ensure that she's able to play. We can do that. We can insure that, right? People insure their pets now. We insure these things. Why? Because you fear losing your stuff. So money buys you the stuff, and then you turn to money to keep the stuff. You pay more money to keep the stuff that money has already provided for you. So money is a provider. What, what is going on here with money? What is going on with our relationship with money? But what is going on is that money does not just talk. talk. It sings in our ears. And this lullaby is singing. It's saying, I can give you lasting fulfillment. Money wants to be your God. It is a preacher offering its own version of eternal life. It is saying, look to me and I'll give you the best life now. It is saying to you, do not worry about life with Jesus. The more you have of me, the easier your life will be. Come to me and I will quote you happy. That's what money says to us. And the rich young ruler who had sat under sermon and sermon and sermon had actually heard this sermon, well, sat in the synagogue, had heard this sermon in his own life, all his life. But money could make him happy. He, he knows it's false. He knew it was false. But in the end, he couldn't give up his membership in the religion of prosperity. Because when Jesus told him to turn away from depending on wealth, he walked away from Jesus. You know, as I thought about this, I realized the religion of prosperity is the largest in the world. It encompasses all of the Western Hemisphere. Oh, Northern Hemisphere or whatever you want to call it. It encompasses the Western world, doesn't it? It encompasses... All of us. And you know, all its members are on the road to hell. Why? Because they depend on wealth rather than God. And God will not accept any competition from him, against him. Money can send you to hell. And this is, a pro this is not just a problem for others. It is a problem for you and I. As I said, I'm rich. You are rich. We are all rich. And these riches we have are working to keep us out of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Now, some of you have heard me this already, and you've already switched off. You, you do not accept the truth of Jesus that your wealth is keeping you out of the kingdom of God. So you just switch off. You're still thinking the issue is the love of money. You're still thinking only First Timothy 6. You're not accepting that money is so toxic that the mayor being around it is on the road to perdition. And you are rejecting that truth, that you? Well, that is great folly. Because the truth of the matter is that you have set your heart on the religion of prosperity. So there is now no hope for you, and your end will be everlasting destruction by God. I think the right way to respond is to follow the example of the disciples here, 
and ask, what does this truth then mean for me and my relationship with God? Because that's why they ask in verse 26. Verse 26 says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Why are the disciples puzzled? Well, they are puzzled because they know about Abraham. They know about Job. They know about Joseph in Egypt. They know, they know about King David. They know about King Solomon and his riches. All their life, they have been watching Christian television, haven't they? And they have heard that prosperity is good for you. It is a sign of God's favor. You see, Judaism had its own prosperity gospel. It taught that the rich people have one foot in heaven. And I would say, the way it was taught, they misunderstood. This is an entirely different sermon, and I'll come back to it, I'm sure, as a matter of fact, when we do the covenants. But they misunderstood the role that riches played in the story of the covenants in the Old Testament. They saw riches really as an affirmation of God's favor in the ear and now, rather than appointing them to the greater riches that they have in heaven. The point is, they were prosper- these disciples had been raised all their life on the prosperity teaching. So they are shocked when Jesus says this. The Messiah has come. And it seems to me that the Messiah is not just saying riches can't buy you one second in heaven. Jesus is saying riches work against you getting into heaven. That's, that's, that's difficult for them to take it. They are asking Jesus, if they rich, if my neighbor who has a Jaguar is so, who clearly is visibly blessed by God, because all riches are a blessing from God in general there. Because God is the one who gives wealth. So they are asking, if God, if they are so blessed by God, and they cannot enter heaven, then what about me? <laughs> right? How can we ever have eternal life? There is this problem here. God is the one who allows these things to happen. He's the one who gives these things. Some people, God just blesses them with super-duper riches, we might say, right? But Jesus is saying that the very blessings are actually an hindrance to entering the kingdom of God. And if that's true for them who seem to have the hand of God on them, what about me? I've left my boat behind. I've left my family behind. Right? Peter is asking here, I'm sure. He's He's leading the charge as always. How can I ever have eternal life? It's interesting enough, it's the same question the rich young man ruler asked Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus asks, Jesus answers that in verse 27, our final verse. And it is our final truth this morning. And it is this. God can save us from the danger of prosperity. How can us who are rich ever have life with Jesus? With God. Jesus says, it's not up to you. (laughs) It's not up to you. Look at verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. First of all, I just want you to note, first of all, what Jesus does not say. There are many ways Jesus could have answered their question. When they said, then how can we be saved? Who can be saved? He could have answered and said, he could have simply denied that God 
is the one who gives riches and therefore he could, have, he could have denied that God is not the one who gives riches. He could have done that. He could have said riches come from the devil. <laughs> and so stay away from the devil, stay away from riches. Jesus could have said that. But he says no, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. He also doesn't say don't worry, you live in your overdraft, you get into heaven, right? He doesn't assure them that they have left their nets behind and therefore they are right. They are poor now, so you are in. He doesn't commend poverty. He also, he, doesn't, he also does not answer that there is a danger to prosperity in of itself. Notice, he doesn't encourage them to give things away. He's not calling on the rich except... Uh, in that case, we read of a rich young man. But he doesn't call them to leave everything and join a monastery and just live very poor lives. He doesn't do any of that. He said, what Jesus does here is amazing. Our Lord introduces, if you like, it's a paradigm shift. They've been thinking one way, that it all depends on them. What Jesus does is completely demolish salvation by works, by human effort. He declares that actually it's worse than that, brothers. No human being can ever serve him or herself. That's verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. You, you, you are working hard to give money to the poor because you think that will make God shower up his blessings on you and let you into heaven. Some people do that. They like giving money to the homeless. And they are very keen to tell us they are giving money to the homeless. Because if you through giving money to the homeless, God will grant them riches in heaven. Some people are like just visiting others or caring for those who are unwell because they feel if they do those good works, they'll enter heaven. Some, perhaps you believe that you go to heaven because you're not as bad as your friends at school. You look at your friends at school, they misbehave all the time, and you say, well, you know, I'm always with my mom at church. I'm always doing good things. I always try and help my friends when they're down. Therefore, I will, I'm likely to go to heaven. Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is nothing you can ever do to deserve eternal life. God cannot be bribed by you. It's not up for sale. It cannot be bought by the stuff you do. To have life with God, and especially the young, I really speak to you at this point. For you to have life with God, God has to do it for you. Look at verse 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Jesus is saying, God is able to break through your love of sin, your love of riches, and save your soul. Rich or poor, you need God. And the good news is that it is not only possible for God to save you, he is available now to save you. Because the one who's speaking in verse 27 is God. Jesus is God entering history to come and bring you to himself. You should read verse 27 as saying, with man it is impossible, but not with me. All things are possible with me, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, I have come to release you from the prison cell of sin and death. So to have eternal life with Jesus is to surrender to Jesus, to ask Jesus to give you a new heart and for you to be what we call being born again. It must come from him and him alone. How will you enter heaven? You enter heaven because you are trusting in Jesus 
for your sins. And Jesus here is saying, I have come if you like to take off your dirty prison clothes of sin and dress you in my white garments of righteousness. I have come to die for you on the cross. And through my death on the cross, I've come to give you new life. You see, Jesus has looked upon you in your helpless, destitute, filthy, and hopeless state. He has loved you and willingly given his life to save you. You see, by human standards, the death of Jesus was disgraceful. But from God's vantage point, the death of Jesus wipes away your sin. You see, through the blood flowing through the Redeemer's veins, a new precious door of life has been opened for you to enter and live with God if you surrender your life this very moment to him. I did that when I was at the age of 13. I cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Bring me into your kingdom, trusting only the blood of Jesus to save me. And God did that for me, and he can do that for you this very moment. But for you to receive this, you must truly surrender to him. You must come to Jesus and say, I am not trusting on anything else, only you, Jesus, to save me. You accept you're a sinner, you accept you can't get into heaven on your own, and you're placing yourself at the mercy of God. You are crying out to him to save you. If you do that this moment, God will save you. That's how we enter the kingdom. So do that now. Come to Jesus. Surrender your life truly to him. And if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, then be assured that you are saved. Because verse 27 is very encouraging. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. It's amazing news. I look at my own life, I look at the mess I make, even having come to Christ, and I'm so comforted by it because it doesn't depend on me. There are moments when I don't want to do God as it were. I don't want to follow Jesus in my life. But I thank God that it's not me who saved myself. It is Christ who has brought me home to himself. God has done what I couldn't do. And he has done it by grace alone. And the same Jesus who saved me, the same Jesus who will keep me. So be assured, beloved, that yes, you are rich, but even through your riches, Christ has cut through the toxic pollution of your riches. And he has opened the living way to keep you from God. The fact that you are rich just shows just how amazing God is to cut through that. Because it is impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So be thankful. Say with the hymn writer, I hear the Savior say, Your strength indeed is small, child of weakness. Watch and pray, finding me your all in all. And then the hymn writer continues and says, Jesus paid it all. Oh, to him now I hold. Sin had left a crimson stain. And he washed it as white as snow. If you are in Christ, Jesus has saved you forever. And beloved, because Jesus has saved you forever, you must now continue to grow and serve him, isn't it? And that starts with you this morning repenting of any desire to become rich. Even richer. Sorry, you're already rich. The desire to become richer. Prosperity is after your worship. 
It wants to damage. I borrowed the phrase Brother Robert Buffett uses, damage. I like that. I've been thinking about that word. It wants to damage your walk with Jesus. It knows, riches know that golden handcuffs are worse than iron handcuffs. So do not let it. Do not let the love of wealth damage your walk with Christ. The Bible encourages all of us to set our hope on God, not on becoming rich. It does that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19, says this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to... You see, you can be rich and a Christian, and you are rich and Christian, some of you, right? But he says here, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, by the grace of God, of course, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of what is truly life. Are you obeying 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19? Or are you worshipping your riches? Is your job damaging your mental or physical health, but you are not willing to give it up because you want to maintain a certain standard of living? Are you failing to find time for your spouse, your children, because of your work? Do you feel you need more money do you feel they need more of your money than they need you? Are you missing being regularly with God's people, especially during the week? Because, and yet, oddly enough, you seem to squeeze in additional shifts. Are you struggling to remember the last time you gave financially to support the work of God, not your 10%, but in the way that it felt painful. It hurt giving. I've told the Lord, Lord, I don't want to ever give to you without it feeling painful. I like being in that zone of saying, should I give this back or not? Because it's just painful to give. Do you experience that? I don't need to draw attention to myself. I'm simply saying, that's David teaches us that, doesn't it? I don't want to give to the Lord. That does not cost me nothing. David refused to give to God something that didn't cost, me any, cost him anything. Do you find that you spend more on coffee, music, the mobile, than you give to support God's work around the world and even here? Is having less money weighing you down? Do you have money problems? Are you finding yourself continually worrying? How will I pay my mortgage? Where am I going to, how am I going to survive this time? Is your life being incursed in money? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then be honest with yourself. You worship money. Your heart is divided, beloved. Prosperity is your true religion. 
You are letting your heart drift away from a, what Paul calls a simple and sincere devotion to Christ. And I plead with you to see that clearly in your life that you are in grave danger. Grave danger. Because Jesus, our Lord, is warning us here that many and the desire to be rich will send you straight to hell. So if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, come before Jesus now. Confess your idolatry. Beloved, we won't just send you to hell. Money is destroying your families. Because in your pursuit of riches, you are not able to care for your children even that God has entrusted you. That last week's sermon, you can find it online. You are failing to bring your children to Christ because you worship the God of money. Well, if that's the case, come before Jesus now. Confess your idolatry. Ask him to take away this inious desire to be richer before it destroys your walk with Christ. Or before it even proves that you never knew him in the first place. Because if after hearing this sermon, your heart is still bent, tomorrow, well, tomorrow is bank holiday, so tomorrow you have time to think about it. But on Tuesday, you're still thinking, money, money, money. That's still your number one issue. You find that midweek you can't do. You find that you can't do Sunday. You find that your life is arranged. If that continues, beloved, it does not matter how, many, how much mileage you have clocked in. It does not matter if 20 years ago you made some profession of faith in Jesus. That your present work with Christ is showing us like that the rich young ruler, you have already walked away from Christ. That's what he's showing. So this is urgent, it's pressing, and I've spoken to you forcefully because your life, your walk with Christ is at stake. So come before him now. Repent of any love of money. Ask God to take away the love of money. And can I just encourage you, God has blessed us with so many wonderful believers here in this church. Get hold of someone. Sit down a brother and say, look at my life. Am I worshipping money? Just be honest with me. Let's just ask that question of one another. Be honest with me. Do you think I worship money? Where can I make changes? I want to make heaven because Christ has died for me, so help me. That's what we do, isn't it? If heaven matters, I just want to grab anyone to tell me. I'm so eager for feedback in any area of my life because I want to see Jesus. And so God has blessed us with other believers. Let us be. Some people sometimes it's difficult for to talk to us. But if we go to them with that question, they'll have the freedom to give us feedback about how we are living on this area. So can I ask you to pray that God will give you the courage to do that? My prayer is that you'd come to love Jesus and draw to him and that you leave behind the love of man. Amen.